Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilovas. If you're new to the podcast, what we do over here is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time. This week is episode 32 and I'm joined by somebody who is a part of the film family himself, Jack Gregson. We are here to discuss the 2011 Green Hornet starring Seth Rogen, Jade Chow and a few other people but we'll get into that in a couple of moments. As is always the way on this podcast we will be spoiling this film rotten we will talk about stuff that happens in the third act we'll be talking about all of it we will be going uh, punch by punch gas gun by gas gun through this film uh so if you want to check out now and watch the film feel free to do so and we'll catch you in a hot minute this episode was tons of fun to record and i must thank jack for jumping in quite short notice on this one as you'll hear throughout the episode both of us were quite ill at the time of recording uh, I've cut out all the coughs and splutters that we do, but uh, my voice definitely deteriorates through the podcast to the end of speaking like this. But uh, still, it is a lot, a lot of fun. We get giddy, we get silly, we go all over the place with this episode. I hope you do enjoy it. So I guess that all that's left to do is to take over your father's newspaper empire after his untimely death become a vigilante with his mechanic and go head-to-head with an insecure supervillain as we make some Coppola connections. This week, we're looking at a film about a millionaire playboy who decides to become a vigilante crime fighter 
after the death of his parents. With the help of his butler and a host of gadgets, he decides to clean up the streets of the city he loves. It's, of course, the feature-length adaptation of the 60s hit TV show about everyone's favourite crime-fighting duo, The Green Hornet, released in 2011, directed by Michelle Gondry, with a script by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. The film stars Seth Rogen, Jay Chow, Diaz, and Christoph Waltz. The film cinematographer is today's Coppola Connection, our boy, the man with the golden eye, John Schwartzman. Joining me to decide if this film is a washed-up bloated mess or a bona fide superhero smash is a man well-versed in bad films, but not any bad films, those produced by Happy Madison Productions. It's one half of the great Truly Happy Lee Madison podcast, Jack Gregson. How are you today, Jack? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm, I'm windswept, yeah. is what I am. <laughs> yeah, don't don't know if you heard about this, but there's there's been some wind today. There's been a, there's been a lot of wind. There's been... There's been, a there's been, there's been a we're about blowing. to blow some more wind. <laughs> Us old windbags here talking about movies. Obviously, today of recording, we just got something that obviously you would be excited about. A trailer for a new Adam Sandler film. Because obviously, your podcast, uh, Truly Happily Madison, looks at the films of Adam Sandler and his production company. Are you ex- what did you think of the trailer for Hustle? Hustle is life. Hustle is love. Hustle is what we need to get society back on track. I don't know. Like it's <laughs> it's it's Adam Sandler talking about basketball. Like it looks cool, I guess. Sure. I have no idea. It's definitely in the sort of serious Adam Sandler realm, which the happy Madison efforts of that are definitely mixed. Um, Rain Over Me is is atrocious. Funny People is the greatest film ever made. Um, so it's it's a, it's a hard one to judge where that's gonna be. Sandler loves basketball, mm-hmm. so you know, yeah, it's gonna be fun. And who can doubt LeBron James's producing skills after Space Jam: A New Legacy? <laughs> I think one of the things like you raising the point of Funny People and Rain Over Me is when I immediately think of those two films, I think of Funny People, mm. first and foremost, as a Judd Apatow film. Rain Over yes. Me, I think of as an Adam Sandler film, and I think there, there's the distinct <laughs> difference between those two films. You don't think films. of it as a 9-11 film? <laughs> or like, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like when, it, when, it, when it comes to like who is the kind of big-name draw for that, as much as Sandler yeah. is for Funny People, it's like kind of, I don't know. The the yeah, legacy no. of it is 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 the next like Judd Apatow film. It's not so much. It like, was that period where Judd Apatow ruled all of uh, comedic cinema. Something I can't imagine ties into our topic today at all. Uh, well, yeah, we can. It definitely will. It definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely will. Uh, when looking at the connections for this film, all roads lead back to funny people. <laughs> uh did you uh did you watch the hustle trailer did you uh i did i did and i'm not kind of i'm not kind of sure what to make of it yet it kind of it looks a bit self-serious in that way that uh, like i it's yeah adam Sana might love yeah. something but doing a film about something you love isn't necessarily 
always the best thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes no. actors, no, no, no. and as we've seen with Adam Sandler, him outside of his comfort zone, whether it is uncut gems or punch drunk love, there, there when he's at his most exciting, it's when he's kind of in his comfort zone in Hawaii with his friends mm. and uh, a, a pretty woman. He's on in his Spain arm. for this one. Oh, love what? Well, I mean, uh, it's in Hustle. Hustle. He's in Spain. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Spain. He's, he's in Spain. He's got Queen Latifah's there. Um, I don't know. I think I. I I'm curious. Uh, I'm just like uh, I sent Josh, my uh, co-host on Truly Happily Madison, um, the trailer, and uh, his response was, "Oh my god, I love it. I can't wait. That's an exclusive for you there. Amazing." Um, uh, and so he's on board, which is great. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I I want it to be good. I I had the distinct feel. Oh, a, Happy Madison has never covered basketball properly. Mm-hmm. Like, there's never been a full basketball movie from them. It's been within the genre of the oh, not genre the oeuvre of uh, Happy Madison movies. It pops up in Little Nicky and Grown Ups, but this is the full time that he's devoting a whole motion picture to it. But at the same time. The last film we got from Happy Madison was was Kevin James starring in Home Team, which is an absolute disaster of a movie. And uh, that sports movie vibe is still hanging heavy upon it. And I'm just like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess if the full IMDb credits are out for Hustle, as long as it hasn't got the kind of the, the the four horsemen of the apocalypse, whether it be Rob Schneider, Alan Cover, I'm trying to think who else. Um, Jared Sandler. Yeah, N- Nick Swartzen, maybe? He he feels like he could be yeah, gunning for, yeah. a, for a four horsemen of the apocalypse to make a bad. But hopefully um, the angel of mercy, Peter Dante, oh. will pop up. Yes, we can, we can all but hope. Um, well, obviously, not completely um, off topic, but I was just watching. I've been re- watching uh, the ad- uh, no, the Larry Sanders show uh-huh. from the beginning, and um, Peter Dante popped up in that the other day, and it's one of his first on-screen roles. And I was just like, oh, look at me, glorious. Uh, yeah, I again to, to to pull on the Peter Dante thread. I early like no, it would have been like late last year. Somebody I randomly follow on Instagram just posted a video of peter dante like at an la bar like just kind of going hey man what's going on what's going on he's 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 not looking his best these days but um i don't know we we, we we... tried to get a cameo from him (laughs) for from uh for an episode of truly happily madison um to celebrate us wrapping up all the current movies and uh he rejected our request. Oh, what a shame. Peter. <laughs> Peter. He could have had a few PD. He could have had a few more beers in that in that LA bar. If only it was for you guys. Oh, what a shame. Well, we've talked about one cinematic family being the happily uh, happy Madison family. Let's talk about another Jack, and I want to know your Coppola credentials. So, first of all, when did you first become aware of the Coppolas as this kind of entity of a family what was your entry point and when did you realize that shit there's fucking loads of them i mean but probably like the first time like when i was uh 13 uh i was 
like very into Lost in Translation, um, as that's when it came out. And I knew it was directed by Sofia Coppola. And I knew that that name meant something. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, and that's probably my first, like, I don't think I knew the whole breadth of it until I probably, until I started talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, uh, you dumped this on my doorstep and now I'm, I, now I'm fully invested. Um, but I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I remember like learning about Nick Cage's connection uh-huh. through like watching fast times and, uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, were there any like Definitely. holy shit? How is this person connected to the fam for you? They're like, like I know for some people when I send them the list of films to cover, they're like, why are we, why, why are we going to be talking about this film? Like I think you did it yourself. You're like, what actually is the connection here? Who, who did? Well, yeah, yeah. This film? I mean, because I always, I don't know. I guess I've just coming from a minor celebrity family myself. Um, I just assumed that all these people were connected. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I guess it stopped um, blowing my mind. And again, like after like covering like the, uh, the happy Madison movies and suddenly you notice that like Sandler gets the whole family involved and like his wife's brother wrote home team and all this kind of, like crud <laughs> um i guess it doesn't blow my mind that much you know what i'm just happy to know that like there's like a nice big family and they all work in the business together like they must be close and i'm like imagine going like that around there for like for like valentine's day dinner yes yeah yeah well yeah and we're gonna be we, during our chat on the green hornet we're gonna be talking about another kind of family within the within the movie making business who are the armstrongs who are this uh amazing oh. stunt family who, vic armstrong yeah. director of left behind yeah vic armstrong <laughs> and his whole family are like these amazing team of stunt coordinators and stunt performers who kind of uh worked on this film and have on the blu-ray their own like special feature documentary all about their stunt work on this movie. Oh man, I am so annoyed that uh, my Blu-ray copy of this film is at my parents' house. <laughs> my 3D Blu-ray copy of this film. Um, my 3D Blu-ray steelbook of this film. Yeah, I've, I've got, I've got, I, I've got a steelbook. I'm not sure if it's the 3D one, but I, I picked it up recently. Somebody was uh just like i'm selling all these like still books this one's sealed does anyone want it and i was like how much for the green hornet just like a real creep just straight in the dms you know? what the fuck do you want that for and it's just because i have this weird obsession that i just have to own every single yeah. coppola family films film on physical so like uh, yeah one day i'll just be i'll be like one of those crazy hoarders and i'll just be like killed by a stack of like DVDs, and they'll be like, "What's the link here?" And it's like, "They're all the Coppola family. They've killed him. They finally got him." <laughs> uh, as I'm sure you can tell, I'm not really interested in physical media. No, not uh, at all. Not at all. Uh, as as, uh, as, no, as I, 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 I'm purely digital these days. 
as I speak to Jack right now, those of you listening can't can't see this, but he is uh, uh, he's got a Zoom background, which is just a load of a load of uh, Blu-rays and DVDs. <laughs> Oh my God! Where did these come? From? <laughs> I, I thought, it was, yeah, I thought it was a digital background. I thought, I thought maybe you'd uh, uh, put it's yourself real, inside the Criterion uh, Criterion closet. <laughs> That's a good idea for a digital background. If I, I'm just curious if I can reach for anything. What will it be? What movie will I pick out? Oh, it's a double pack of the Rescuers and the Rescuers Down Under. Oh, lovely! No Coppola connection there, so better luck next time. Maybe, maybe throughout the. Oh. Chat. I'll ask you to blind pick, and we'll see if you... Is, is Kofler not related to Bob Newhart in any way? Unfortunately not. Um, so you'd you think, you'd think. You said, Jack, that you're from a minor celebrity family yourself, and you, you've worked yes. in TV and film and kind of... You, you live in the big city of London. Have you ever met a Kofler at all? Yeah. Nah. No? No, never, 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 nah. never crossed paths, never, never rubbed shoulders with Jason Schwartzman or been in the same room as Sophia at the BFI or something like that? Actually, I wonder, have I been in the same room as Sophia? I don't think I have. If I have, the closest thing would have been like a Q&A at the the LFF. I can't remember if she did one when I went to see somewhere. Um, I'm trying to think, like, is it like... I'm almost shocked that I'm not in the Coppola family, to be honest. Like, I feel like Natasha Gregson-Wagner is someone who would have married in. Um, But, uh, no. She's just, she's married to someone else. (laughs) (laughs) So, what would have been the first film you would have seen that John Schwartzman had any involvement in? Have you done your homework on this question? Or do you need to uh, IMDb it right now? Maybe, maybe maybe I have done my homework on this question that I'm looking up right now. Um, probably, probably I was introduced to the work of John Schwartzman uh, through uh, 1999's Ed TV. Nice, nice. <laughs> a weird pick, oh, but I remember. I remember weirdly being fascinated by that film when, like, seeing the trailers and stuff like that, and I was just like, I don't know, I was weirdly drawn to it, and I remember catching it on, like, Channel 4 or something when it eventually hit terrestrial I remember, TV. I remember renting it um, <laughs> on VHS uh, and not being too impressed as a as a nine-year-old. Um, <laughs> I think I became... I, I, I was sort of better introduced into uh into the world of uh john schwartzman through um so cinematically that is meaning that i saw it in a cinema um meet the fuckers is uh is probably the one that stands out for me um you know it's a gorgeous looking film (laughs) it's uh it's um it's lit beautifully you know and it's uh it really captures um, <laughs> that that sort of hellish environment that it's set in. That sort of is it like Florida? Yeah. Florida, maybe the, the framing he gets on that kid as he says "asshole" is mm. is, is absolutely asshole. Is is a is a chef's chef's kiss moment? Yeah, it's it's good. It's it's 
I'm surprised Meet the Fockers didn't pop up in more in the awards conversation that year, to be honest. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised it's not talked about every day. To, to the I'm, uh, I'm more surprised more than anything. Like what what happened to uh to Peter James, uh cinematographer on um Meet the Parents. Why they why they get rid of him? You know? I th- uh well, I, I think that series had a different cinematographer for each film as well. So, yeah, because yeah, John Schwartzman's just there wow. for the middle. He's not there for little fuckers. He, he kind of he kind of does that. He kind of like dips in and out of franchises at the moment. He does Book of uh, Secrets as well, right? Yes, he does Book of Secrets. He's done. He did Jurassic World. Didn't do Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, but is back for Dominion. So. Uh, Oh. Some people. Well, the director has returned for Dominion from the first director of Jurassic World, so you know he's like um, Colin Trevorrow. Uh, yeah, yeah. They Colin Trevorrow. Be... He's he's Colin Trevorrow's guy. He is. He is. Who also directed the Book of Henry, a film that will be discussed soon Amazing. on this podcast. Amazing. <laughs> what a joy. Um, I also I also see that he did the Middle Night of the Museum movie. Yeah, he's, he's the middle guy. He's the, he's the middleman. John Schwartzman is, is the middleman, and like, but we're joking about him. But obviously, like, he can be credited as almost being a hand in the Michael Bay look because obviously he, yeah, he was the he was the cinematographer on both The Rock and Armageddon. So whether you love it or hate it, he he helped create that Michael Bay. And Pearl Harbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, yeah. Just um, went like those early films where he's kind of really working out his 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 style. Yeah, no, completely. I was once on a on a on a date with a with a lady mm-hmm. um, who uh, she taught um, film or media, and um, I remember she got quite offended with me. When I said that, like, technically, Michael Bay is a good filmmaker. Mm-hmm. She got, mostly because I was like, well, his films, they have a look to them, and they have a, they have a style to them that is his own, and in a way, he is successful in that. And perhaps, that, and she was just like, oh, I can't believe you're saying Michael Bay is a good filmmaker. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, give him his due in, in a way. Like, um, i got to say, Ambulance looks great. So, um... Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm beating that drum as well. Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. It's like, he has achieved what he set out to achieve. Whether that, whether you like that or not is a, a different yeah. matter altogether. Whether the actual product itself is... I don't, it is is any good is different it looks it looks how it's I supposed to look i don't think i've liked a single michael bay movie just looking at like his <laughs> career <laughs> i've never seen the rock i hear that's good um but i saw four of the transformers movies i don't like any of his movies but i do think he is successful as a filmmaker yes that is that 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 that, that is that is a good takeaway the i would i would thoroughly recommend the rock not just because i'm a Cage fan, but it's uh, it's a fantastic, fun, silly film. Uh, yeah, yeah. check it out. Jeff. I'm, I'm I'm on board for the rock. I'd, I'd like to watch it. I think it's on maybe, Disney maybe Plus, maybe. so you got no excuse. 
I think I own it on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, I, I, I own it on a couple of uh, a couple of different formats now because I bought. You got the, the criteria, the US Criterion. I don't know. I have a. I think I have the US Criterion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a French Criterion copy of Armageddon on DVD, but uh, the Armageddon. The 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 English DVD just has all of the like special features transported over because like even in yeah. one of the commentaries they refer to the Criterion collection because you know like they go like oh thanks for Criterion for for inviting us to do this it's like oh okay I guess I, we've got I the remember, cri- like, um, I remember like the the Chasing Amy DVD was like a, the UK DVD was like a direct lift of the Criterion like us dvd yeah well, yeah there's 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 weird stuff with like uh like dvd commentaries and stuff like that. I'm, I'm always like fascinated to track down a us copy of the wicker man because um neil labute says that i'm talking about the nicholas cage wicker man here says on the uk commentary he's like oh this is like a european commentary track and it's like why why do you need a separate commentary track for the for for europe like why are we getting the kind of the second go around do you know what i mean when you're probably not as enthusiastic to do another commentary track um, do you know what's a, a, a wild commentary track uh the simpsons movie <laughs> Why? Who is it? Is it a cast one or is it a kind of a collection of it's writers? It's a crew one. It's uh-huh. a collection of like writers and, and Matt Groening. But the it does something that I, I don't think I've seen on any other commentary track where they'll stop the movie. Okay. <laughs> and they like pause the movie and like discuss it a little more. <laughs> I'm like, you guys really want to be here for like the whole gamut. Wow. <laughs> like, that, yeah, that like, is... you want to like like stop talk about something. And like, I think on Disney Plus, you can. There's even like an option to watch the commentary version. That's amazing. Um, I, I like one of my favorite all time commentary tracks is the Armageddon one because it is a collection yes. of separate interviews and. Um, Ben Affleck, Affleck. You, can tell, you can tell has had a few too many beers and he's just kind of shit talking Michael Bay kind of re- like he even admits like wouldn't it have been easier to train astronauts to drill an asteroid than it would to train drillers to be astronauts and like it's like Michael Bay just told him to shut the fuck up and it's weird you know, that, that it, is... it's a weird one as well that the the commentary track like boosts the dvd up a rating because there's more swearing on the commentary track than there is in the film i always love that (laughs) anyway before we get lost down this avenue let's talk (laughs) about the green hornet this is what you want out of your life this gives you a sense of fulfillment drink i spend all night writing about the corruption of this town and you do nothing. For today's top story, newspaper mogul James Reed was found dead, leaving his son in charge of his media empire. Sorry to hear about your father. Hey, Kato, you knew my dad pretty well, right? Now that he's gone, I'm thinking I haven't done anything good my whole life. I'm not sure what I should do. Wanna see something cool? Whoa! 
You did that? What did you think of my father? Was a complex man. Think about this, Cato. We've been completely wasting our potential. This city needs our help. We could be heroes. Here's what will make us different. We will pose as villains to get close to the bad guys. That way, no one will suspect we're really the good guys. I want you to take my hand, and I want you to come with me on this adventure. I'll go with you, but I don't want to touch you. Okay, you don't have to take my hand, but will you come with me on this adventure? Okay. Yes. What do we call it? The Green Hornets. I'm Lenore Case. I'm the new secretary. Perfect. I want the head of the Green Hornet, and I want it tonight. You know who you are? You're a human Swiss Army knife. Just when you think it couldn't be any more cool things, a new thing comes out. What's this? Is it gas gun? A gas gun? How does it even work? Red light, stop, stop! The camera got us. Can I shoot one? One thing I've got to say about Sick. that trailer is that, uh, it sounds like a film that was made in the early 2000s. Almost sounds like it's got like a P.O.D. song on that 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 trailer. I was gonna say late 90s. Yeah, late, it's that, <laughs> that, that kind of like that 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 rock with the slap bass. It's kind of like sub Red Hot Chili Peppers, but a bit more like rap rock to it so yeah almost i'm i mean arguably is that not the vibe the film has it does in it does. general it doesn't feel like a film that was made in 2011 yes well but well yeah before we get into into that and kind of the storied production history for this film um can you tell us the a, a brief synopsis of what the green hornet is about jack all right so you got you got brit reed He's um he's got a, he's a kid. Well, he's not a kid. He's probably my age, maybe a bit younger. Um, he's this party animal guy. His dad owns a newspaper, and he's uh and uh, and uh you know his dad's like oh you idiot Brit, and you, when are you gonna grow up? And uh, Brit's like I I will grow up, um uh, one day, and then his dad dies. Uh, and Britt decides that it's time to grow up, especially when his coffee isn't made correctly. <laughs> and you find out that it's made by a guy called Kato, and uh, Kato, uh, not from the Pink Panther movies. Um, uh, and uh, him and Kato decide to join up to fight crime. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I, I, am I? And, and then, like, Christoph Waltz is angry. Um, Am I far off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the only thing you missed out is about Christoph Waltz. He's angry and insecure, which kind of seemed to be like his only motivations throughout this whole film. Which I actually kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to who that could have been in this film, mm. because that is a, 
a very lovely juicy little connection uh and exactly only from watching the special features did i realize how late in the day the the actor that could have been the <laughs> the villain in this walked off the project um <laughs> and may uh i don't know give some reason as to why christoph waltz a lot of people say is underwritten and kind of doesn't get a lot to do in this film somewhat um so yeah we we we, we talked to we, yeah we, we've got your synopsis but um when did you first see this film jack oh i so this was um uh back when i was a, a cub reporter for screen geeks um uh i was sent out um they were an entirely u.s based operation and i i was their uk uh arm <laughs> and uh i was i managed to wangle myself into a, a press screening of this i think this was the first press screening i went to that wasn't film festival based and wasn't um a straight to dvd uh Danny Glover remake of Moby Dick with dragons. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I saw this in in a in, back in probably January 2011, mm-hmm. uh, sitting in a Sony's screening room uh, back in in uh, Soho Square. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a trip for me. I saw it with my friend Sabrina. And uh, I remember being a big fan of the movie. Yeah, so so, so it, was, it was positive reactions at the time. How how have your kind of feelings for the film, like, have they waned or have they kind of, have, have they, I don't know, have they firmed, like, solidly to, to, to be a film that you admire? Or how do you feel about it now? I definitely don't think I'm as hot on it as I was when I first watched it. Uh-huh. I think, um, uh, I think it definitely has issues, but I do think there's elements to it that are actually really good. And um, uh, it comes close to like being a, a, an interesting sort of like forgotten movie. Um, but instead, I, I can kind of understand why it's been forgotten. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a little messy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into some. I think. Oh. I think to talk about okay. like the messiness of this film is to talk about the kind of the production history of it, right? And this, this. I, I, I mean, maybe I think there's elements to. I think. Um, I think the biggest problem with this film is that. Seth Rogen needs to play a prick and he just doesn't, he can't do it. He just doesn't come across as a prick. He's too nice guy. He was recently on Kirby Enthusiasm and they were talking about how he is like the everyman who is likable. And that's exactly what I think about when watching this movie. I'm just like, he's completely wrong for this role. And, and that's where I think a lot of it falls down. In fact, with that a lot of the film falls on jay chow's shoulders Mm -hmm. who i think does an amiable job but i do think that he's not entirely ready to lead like a an english language motion picture at this point well Um, what 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 do you think of like 
the fact that other people in its kind of storied production history who were going to play the Green Hornet, whether it be George Clooney originally in the early 90s or moved on to Greg Kinnear. And then like years later, I believe that Jake Gyllenhaal at one point when the film was in Kevin Smith's hands, he wanted to kind of do a sequel to the TV show where it would have been um, Britt Reid Jr. That would have been Jake Gyllenhaal's character. And then he would have done a gender flipped like Kato's daughter. In, yeah, they did that as the comic book that they brought out as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that script eventually got turned into that. But would it have worked? Like, have those guys got prick potential in them? Like, would they have maybe brought brought that element to it as opposed to as opposed to Seth Rogen? Do you reckon? I think Kinnear probably does. <laughs> um, I, but I also think it would probably have been a very different script back then. Yes. Especially if, like, um, the 90s version of it is probably going to be very much in the realm of, like, the Shadow and the Phantom. Um, uh, Kinnear probably could have done it, though. Um, Clooney has prickish elements to him, but again, he's... Maybe he could be a good sort of roguish jump, but then you know he goes off and does Batman, and it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, um, I, I guess one that I haven't mentioned is Mark Wahlberg as well, who I think uh, in his real life has been an actual prick, and um, I'm not sure teaming him up with uh, somebody of East Asian descent is a good idea in a film. Because uh... Wahlberg is Wahlberg can be amazing if used correctly. Uh huh. If put in the right movie with the right director. However, that rarely happens. <laughs> um, and um, if this was going to be a Michelle Gondry movie, because I believe Michelle Gondry was like attached to this in the nineties at one point. He was the first person attached to it. Yeah. He was the first director. (laughs) And what I find crazy about this film is a lot of people got pay to play contracts to play, (laughs) to play like to be in this film. So like George Clooney would have made money off this film, regardless of it ever being made like the version he was going to be in. Jet Lee, I believe, was the same as well when he was kind of attached to play Kato and then kind of left to make the one. Stead, like, yeah, it's, I, I find the production history, like, Kevin Smith, I think, got to the point and when, when kind of realised what the budget for the film would be, walked off the project being like, I don't want to mess around with that kind of budget. And I think what happened with Superman Lives and kind of having to deal yeah. with the studios and uh mega asshole producer john peters kind of really scared him off the prospect of working on a kind of a property film as it were yeah um i reckon i i used to be a massive kevin smith fan uh-huh. and um used to be what's the key term <laughs> um uh and I remember being really interested, like, what's he gonna do with this Green Hornet project? Despite the fact that, like, I didn't know who the Green Hornet was. Yes. Um, this wasn't a property that I was aware of. I did uh, try for this um, uh, episode to watch some episodes of the TV show, 
and um, I watched half of one. And I was like, "This is too dry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't. I cannot carry on." Jill and Hall's an interesting call for, it, especially doing it as like the son of uh, of Britt Reed. Uh, I mean, maybe like. I think this is an issue, is that especially now that I've watched like one half of an episode of the TV show and this movie, I'm not entirely sure who Britt Reed really is supposed to be. Um, he doesn't. I'm not entirely like, yeah, the, the the Green Hornet character doesn't really stand out too much. Well, I think yeah, I think Seth Rogen has said that this film is supposed to act like the origin story for those characters because in the tv show and i think like the there would have been uh radio plays back in like the 30s it was a, a, like a 1940s black and white serial as well which i watched a bit of yeah and they're like <laughs> but like i think they just kind of it is just like an adventure of the week show so like yeah. they're kind of you dropped into it there is no kind of setting up who the characters are so you don't really you just kind of go this is the dynamic. We have these things that they say every week, whether it's like checking through what all the all the weapons are, whether they're still intact and stuff like that in the car. But apart from that, it's like they just yeah. There's no like character yeah. development as to like what how he became the Green Hornet. So I think they had. He's un- just like a, a rich guy. Like it's it's it feels especially with the TV series being produced by the same guys who did the Batman series of the sixties. Um, but without any of the charm, uh, it's uh, it felt like it was just uh, you just need another Batman, <laughs> which uh, I believe your your opening played tribute to. Maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what gave that away? Was it the use of the dynamic duo or the fact that uh, it was when you called Cato a butler? I'm like, he's not a butler. Well, yeah, he make, he make, he makes yeah, the coffee. Yeah. It's it's a stretch. It's a stretch. But uh, he's 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 his man, which he isn't, as, as uh, Kato points out. Yeah, he's his man. He's not his man. Yeah, this. Well, yeah. Shall shall we get into how this film has aged in some of those aspects, or we'll save that for a bit later? I guess we can save that. <laughs> um. So yeah, when it came, so this film into like even even this version of the film was kicking around for a while right before it got to to being made because the rights i believe like kind of got acquired in 2007 and then yeah and then it was kind of yeah in the july of that year seth rogan was it was like the attached. rise of rogan that year <laughs> yes <laughs> so um, what do you think of the like the what it well what do you think of the kind of the Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg stable of films in general anyway. I feel that's a, that's a point to touch on because where this film fits in though as well. So for those of uh, us who have listened to my Funny People episode, I'm a, I'm a big Judd Apatow fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Rogen is, is Apatow's man. Yeah. It's not his man. Um, all that joke. Um, like, I, I, um, talk about like dream of dreams. Seth Rogen and Kevin Smith coming together when I was eighteen. Oh, what a, what a, <laughs> what a great 
Now that's a dynamic duo I wanted to see. Um, I've not watched the movie since the cinema. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, Rogan and Goldberg, I think. Um, I I I like a lot of their projects together. I think Superbad is a really strong script mm-hmm. and is put together really nicely. Um, I haven't watched this since the cinema, but I'd like to rewatch This Is the End because um, I I remember that being really fun. Um, I think they they work well together. Um, I think they they put they they clearly know what works best. And I think I and Brogan has been very open on like the production of this movie being an absolute shit show. Which, uh, which, in the end, which is really funny watching the like uh, Blu-ray features and stuff like that for this film. Like knowing he said that in like a Mark Maron interview in 2013, and obviously touches on it in his book as well. Right, he kind of yeah. like, talks about some of the the troubles with it. It's like on the on the on the Blu-ray that him and Evan Goldberg are both there, kind of going, "Hey, this is great. We're having fun." But even then, they're like, "They're like, oh yeah, we got four months to finish this script. We don't know how it's going to end." So you can kind of see some <laughs> cracks in the foundations, but for the rest of the time, yeah. they're going like, "Hey, we're having loads of fun." And then there's like a brief mention of Evan Goldberg going, "So, um, yeah." One of the biggest problems is we got three days until again shooting, and Nicolas Cage has walked off the project as our <laughs> as, as our villain in this movie. Ah oh, yes, uh, shall we talk about Mr. Cage? <laughs> yeah, let let let's do it because so obviously we could like we could briefly talk about the fact that um was it Stephen Chow who was going to be. Kato originally in this he's gonna is, Stephen Chow was gonna be Kato and I believe he was gonna direct as well yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it was gonna be his like English language debut uh directorial directorial debut um which has never happened since uh since this movie um I think Stephen Chow would have been interesting, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think necessarily that would have made this movie work. I love Stephen Chow's movies. Yes, yeah, but comedy direction is very can be very tricky at the best part. Even more so when you're directing something that is not in your native language. Yeah, that is that is something like uh, can be really tricky, right? Some of like the greatest um, like Asian cinema directors. Well, to, to bring it to Cage, there's a uh, there's the Sion Sono film Prisoners of the Ghostland, which Sion Sono for anyone who's seen his films made some absolute like masterpieces. Whether it's Love Exposure or Why Don't You Play in Hell but something just went wrong when it kind of when that mixture of like making it english language i guess certain things are lost in translation when american money starts getting involved it starts like uh, visions start getting diluted and stuff like that and uh, i don't know yeah the, some obviously there are some great examples like obviously this is directed by michelle gondry this film who is obviously not 
uh, an English native. And uh, like Snowpiercer by Bong Joon-ho uh-huh. is, is, is a fantastic movie. And uh, um, uh, Stoker by Park Chan-wook is is incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. film that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, yeah, even even uh, it, da, 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 Face Off with... Uh, John Woo, yeah. John Woo or Broken yeah. Arrow before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I do think when it is comedy... Uh-huh. I, and especially having seen like um, Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle and CJ7, I think those films are very funny, but they're not the type of comedy that is going to appeal to like a, a mainstream American audience. Actually, I think CJ7 is kind of the biggest example of that, where he's trying to kind of do something Spielbergy, but it doesn't really work. And yeah, I, I assume it is probably a big hit in, in you know in china and people will, will get on board with that for me it was a, a sort of like oh well it's nice to see a new <laughs> new stephen chow <laughs> <laughs> so yeah with stephen chow off the project and i'm not really too sure when like when the crossover was of who was involved just quickly on chow yes do you do you do you know uh what his pitch to rogan was no 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 Oh yeah, um, he uh, he wanted uh, at one point to have Cato install a chip in the in Britt Reed's head, and he could control him like a video game. Amazing! <laughs> and uh, so, and I remember Rogan just being like, "That's that's not really like the, the jokes we wanted to." Um, but yeah, that's that's the only thing I I really know. Like that was like one of Charles' things that like I want to do that. And from Rogan's book, you kind of get the sense that there was just a lot of like sort of pushback between the between the two of them, and uh, Charles wouldn't sign off on on what they wanted to do. Well, I th- I think there was kind of pushback from all from different yeah. factions on this, right? It was kind of it was never going to work yeah and i think that's interesting when it when you think of like a, a seth rogan and evan goldberg film is this for for from my memory is their only kind of pg13 film that they've they've made and you can kind of feel it in the it, i don't think they wanted it to be pg that that that's what that's what you feel in it like at, at every point it there's stuff within it whether it's like there's a clear ADR line when a co- when they first like go on their escapades and they run a cop cop off the road. You kind of get mm. the cop like when his car is clearly he's dead. You get an ADR line. He's like, ah, oh, damn it. Where it's like, oh, <laughs> we need to let the PG thirteen audience know that this guy is still alive. And even like some of the kills in this, it's like it's a lot of kills in this. It's a surprising amount. Yeah, and like even when you get to their kind of like. Oh, this got like when when there's a reveal of like a villain at the end, and it's like this guy's gonna get away with it. Their kind of way of dealing with it is like, oh, we'll just kill him. Like we're not gonna we're not yeah. gonna like get his comeuppance elsewhere. It's like we will just get this half a car we've got and drive him out of a fucking window to the ground. Which which doesn't like play completely outside of um rogan and goldberg's wheelhouse because think of like the interview uh-huh. and like the ending of that is just like well let's just kill kim jong-un 
Yeah, no, no, that's wow. what I'm saying. I'm saying like, what is like, you can feel that they were going for something a bit more hard edged, like yeah. an art, like what could have been really like the first kind of big budget, like R-rated comic book film in a way, or like superhero movie. It would have definitely have bucked a trend yeah. at the time that it came out, at least. Yeah, and. I guess people didn't want to buck the trend at that point. Yeah, true. Because, um, uh, what, so this is... This was supposed to come out in 2010. It's pushed back to 2011. Um, and what, so 2010, you know, we're, we're in the height of Iron Man popularity. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that's, that's what I imagine the studio wants. <laughs> Nobody's out there looking for a Deadpool at this point. Yeah, and what is what is interesting as well is like the the choice for Michelle Gondry to direct this as well uh, is the fact that like Seth Rogen has admitted his thoughts on Michelle Gondry before working with him. One, nobody thought he wanted to to make this film. They're like, why does Michelle Gondry want to make a big budget mainstream movie? And like he said himself, he's like, well, if I'm gonna make the Green Hornet a project that was going to be my first uh, mm. uh, American movie anyway I want to make it a bit like real big budget and he, he provided them with like a uh, basically a, like a fight sequence like demo just to show them like this thing that you think I can't do obviously I'm the guy who's known for be kind rewind or science of sleep eternal sunshine yeah 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 all this kind of weird stuff at this point or human nature like i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna be the guy you would first think who would be able to like pull off these action sequences or like i feel like i should say at this point that i do think eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is probably one of the best made movies i've ever seen Perfect. So, Perfect. so I, 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 I just want to like say that like when um when I think of uh, when this movie was coming out, and I heard Michelle Gondry was attached. I was like, well, this is going to be the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> so before we yeah before we talk about Michelle Gondry, obviously we teased that we were going to talk about Nicolas Cage. Um, ah yes. <laughs> so yeah, obviously he left this project as as i alluded to three days before it went into production and part of the reason for that could have been the fact of how he wanted to play the character and seth rogan uh recounts this in his great book uh yearbook uh what, what were those mm. choices that nick cage had for the character of uh, benjamin chudanowski he wanted to be jamaican <laughs> of course he wanted to be Jamaican. Obviously. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at what point this would be in around Cage's career, because I think he walks off in like 2008 or like 2009. So what's he doing? So that would have been just... Is he just got off like filming with Werner Herzog? It would have been around that time, yeah. It would have been around the... It, it would have been just, like, my thinking is it would have been just before he realised that, like, his money had had, had disappeared, <laughs> that he'd been, like, swindled by his accountant. 
like it would have been just before that like yeah i'm curious if he walks off of this and walks onto the kick-ass set oh that is yeah that is that feels like that would have been a choice of being like i walked away from what would have been an interesting comic book film and i i, I can't help but think that i don't know Christoph Waltz is obviously a great actor, but I'm not sure if he is the right fit for this film in a way. It's interesting. Watching this uh, the other day, I was watching it, and his performance reminded me very much of um, uh, a few years later, Peter Stromer does the performance in 22 Jump Street, where his character is just very much like, Villains were so much better in the nineties, uh-huh. you know, in the nineties you could and then it was it was very reminiscent of that. And I think Stromer has sort of a better lid on that performance than Waltz does here. I quite like Waltz in this. Like I think like I I, I quite like that he's just so befuddled that things just can't be straightforward and he's just like a man trying to adapt to a new era and I quite like his sort of way of playing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do think his uh, um, scene at the top with him and Franco, James Franco popping up in this film in a, a little cameo is, is a strong scene and a, a fun one at that. Like uh, those two playing off each other, obviously, you know, Franco is disgraced and shouldn't be talked about. Um, but um I do think he's he's quite fun here in that he seems to be playing like a straight-laced version of his alien character from Spring Breakers. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the bit where he's like, look at all this stuff I've got. I was like, he's just doing, look at my shit. Look at my shit. I've got Scarface on repeat. Um, um, which, of course, leads back to um, Nick Cage. Uh, wanting to play this role and in the in the book seth rogan's book apparently nick cage contacts seth rogan after the movie of comes out and after spring breakers has come out and cage basically accuses rogan of giving franco the idea to play this sort of jamaican character which he really isn't in um uh, spring breakers no, the, but, the, um... the, the genesis of the spring breakers character i think uh, goes back to the the rapper Riff Raff, right? That kind yes, of, the, yeah, the, Flor- the, the Florida rapper, yeah, as opposed to a guy wanting to speak in patois and have 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 cornrows. Yeah, it's. I think I think if Cage had just dialed into a villainous role as opposed to just wanting to do a batshit like I'm going to do this in a Jamaican accent and. I, I know that Cage has said some of his reasoning for walking off is he wanted to explore more the reasons why this villain was the way he was, as opposed to just being, I am a bad guy and that is it. And I know that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, when it came to getting Christoph Waltz, they had to revert back to an earlier draft of the script where they're like, oh, we kind of, because they mentioned in the, um, uh, da, 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 uh, it, yeah, it, it, in the features that when Brad Pitt was it like involved with the film, so I guess he would have been the villain at one point. They're like, oh, in the Brad Pitt script, it's all about this thing of uh, a self-doubting villain. So they kind of pull that back, and then they weren't sure if they were going to do the the Bloodnovsky like kind of 
you know what I mean? Transition throughout the yeah. film and had to make the decision really quickly because one of the first shots they were going to film with Christoph Waltz was inside the hibachi bar when he's walking across that balcony in the red suit. And it's like, mm. we need to make this decision really quick whether we're going to go with this kind of plot line for the character or if we're going to go with something else, which again really compounds on the fact that there was like a lot of kind of issues with this and they kind of like i don't know got through it by the skin of their teeth in a weird way it's a wild wild movie the more i think about it because <laughs> at the end of the day i can't really think of like too much like i don't think the story is that i think the story is fun enough mm -hmm. I don't think it really has an arc. Like, nothing really changes from the beginning to the end of this movie. Like, Brit and Kato are kind of the same people from the beginning to the end. Yep. Um, poor Cameron Diaz. Oh, gets, um, gets sidelined massively, right? I mean, I'll say this. Love an older woman love interest. Um... She's ten years older than Rogan, um, and she and like you know she holds her and she's great. I love Cameron Diaz; lights up the screen every time she's on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she has nothing to do in this movie. It feels like she's set up to be in the sequel, um, which uh, in the TV series her character is like one of the people who knows that Brit is the Green Hornet. Mm -hmm. um, well, I I I, I think uh, as well is like. What makes it even worse is uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg have like gone on record to say that they had problems with the original series that like that character was just a bit of eye candy, and they wanted. Yes, to... I mean that's not not untrue as well. Yeah, they wanted to right the wrong, but like it's not like they they thought they were making her the mastermind of the operation, but. The way the film plays out is she is kind of like manipulated by them to yeah, get them information. That doesn't come into like the last like ten minutes of the film. Yeah, whole mastermind thing. Um, like obviously, like she's there researching the Green Hornet, but she doesn't really have anything to do. Um, yeah, it's a shame. It's a, it's a it's a waste of uh, uh, of you know. Unfortunately, we didn't get many Cameron Diaz performances after this before she retired. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a shame that this is one of the the final ones like i think it's like this sex tape and annie and the counselor obviously do you think um she took the idea to be jamaican for, from this to be in the counselor because they had to like redub her all over for the counselor because she did it all in a jamaican accent maybe maybe she was yeah maybe she was knocking about the cage and he was like he's like hey, hey. He, he, he put the seat He's put the seed in a lot of uh, we we get we get three kind we get two films out of uh, three yeah two 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 Jamaican performances out of out of this film and they're all they're all thanks to Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I never thought about exactly. That. That's, that's perfect. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's, so you know, it is a shame, and yeah, the film is fun to go along with. Mm -hmm. I think the film is really. It ends up being saved because it does have some real interesting filmmaking going on from Michel Gondry. The split screen sequence is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. 
it's like so like technically it's like in, insane the only thing about it is i wish there was something a bit more interesting going on in it yeah, yeah, yeah. um it looks phenomenal and you're like how do they do this and you're like oh this is so good and then you think i'm marveling on how they did this i'm not marveling on like what's going on on screen mm-hmm. like um i do like kato vision I think Kato Vision is like really fun and like or like him running across that car, um, like where the car goes back. I think like I wish there was more of that yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah, because because that stuff is really cool and really fun to watch. And Kato's a really fun like, like Jay Chow is a really fun like, energetic presence to have in those fight scenes. And he's small and he's like fast and he's good. And you're like, oh yeah. And like even when they have like. Britt Reed going into the Kato vision at the end. It's a fun sort of payoff to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and- where, where, he, where he does it. And there's, there's a fun idea in that you have a superhero duo where one is incredibly skilled and one is really wealthy, but shit. Yeah. Um, and th- like that idea is really fun and they do play with that for a while, but then it just goes into the sort of, the sort of usual split between the two having a fight come back together though i will say the fight between uh, the hornet and kato is one of the uh, highlights of the movie yeah i love well. that it looks great and what i love about that as well is uh michelle gondry was really open to like just happy accidents happening mm-hmm. so like when the t- can imagine when the tv kind of comes off the wall he was like ah oh, the tv looks really cool i like like the kind of because it's <laughs> fucked, like, what's happened to the TV. It's like, right, we need to set up a shot right now to incorporate that, and then we get that moment where Kato's, like, pushing his face against the TV, like, you like that? You yeah. like that? You like that? And it's kind of like, and you talk about the, the Kato vision stuff. They they reminded me somewhat of quick time events in video games, like, when you kind of yeah. have that moment, it's like, oh, press X now, press, like, square now, and it's kind of, like, really cool, because that kind of, almost like predates that being like a massive thing i guess it's kind of i don't know uh i might be wrong on that there's probably video game people going you're wrong on that but like i remember it in games kind of coming out afterwards a lot more whether it's the the reboot of yeah. the tomb raider franchise i like properly remember it in like red dead redemption that's the kind of stuff i remember yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and um what like and it's but and i remember as this as well it popped in 3d it looked great in 3D, that kind of stuff. And uh, my big regret on not watching this in 3D. Um, when you tweeted the poster the other day, and it's like, the Green Hornet in 3D, I was like, oh, man. What, what, this one looked fantastic. Well, the producers have said that's, like, the 3D aspect of it is the, one of the reasons it never got a sequel, is, like, the fact that they shot the film in L.A. that has no tax breaks for filmmaking, uh, the, and the fact that they spent another $10 million to kind of retroactively fit it to 3D. Because I guess this was when 3D was really kicking back in, right? It's kind of every film. So this is, yeah, it's 2011. So the 2009, you've got Avatar, which is like the, the main 3D. Uh-huh. And, then, and then 2010, you've got um, both retrofitted clash of the titans and alice in wonderland that end up doing like surprisingly well even though everybody says the 3d is awful and then you got my baby jackass 3d oh um which is 
probably the best use of 3D in a movie. Definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, a series that I often toy with covering on the podcast where it's... Uh, <laughs> Who's the connection? Uh, Spike Jones, who was at one point married oh, of course. to... Uh, to Sophia Coppola, and obviously, without without that connection, I guess we wouldn't have got Chris Pontius in somewhere uh, from 2010 as well. So yeah, um, so yeah, there's there's connections everywhere, and I, I do love do love the Jackass film. I probably am related to the <laughs> by hook. That's or why by... they named it. That's why they named it Jack. So what are some of your favourite scenes in this film? Obviously, you've touched upon the Kato vision. Are there kind of other scenes in this that you particularly enjoy, Jack? As I say, the fight scene, I think, is... Oh, am I muted? As I say, the fight scene is uh, is a real, real joy. Um, it's, uh, it's got... Lots of stuff going on there that I really think is fun. I think joke-wise, um, the invention of the gas gun mm-hmm. is funny. Uh, the joke of him being asleep for eleven days <laughs> is good. And and like watching show, I, I didn't really like the gas gun is like the Green Hornet's main weapon, so it's fun to sort of play with that. Unfortunately, like that's the thing because this character isn't so well known. I think jokes like that almost don't work as well. Because you're just like, oh, well, he's got a gas gun, sure. And then you don't realise, like, oh, wait, the gas gun is the main thing. Well, yeah, and it's the fact that, <laughs> like, when he's explaining why he's got it, and he's skirting around the fact where it's like, you're just shit. You need something <laughs> as your kind of crutch, because I'm the one who's kind of offing all these villains, and you kind of, like, just come in at a kick once they're down on the floor, kind of. I do... I like that relationship between the two of them. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. do. I do think, I think, uh, and uh, sorry to just jump around. On what no, 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 do it, do it. Uh, you remind me, like, one of my favorite lines in the movie is JTL watching uh, the TV report on the, the time they cut the head off the statue at the beginning of the movie. And JTL's being, where am I? And just go. Must be too fast for TV. <laughs> like, like, I like that little like self-defensive. Like, yeah, I can. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, <laughs> I'm too fast for the cameras. Like, I think, but I think the problem with this because as I do, I do think Jay Chow is good in this. Yes, I think he is good in really it. Really good. But I think Rogan's best work is when he is playing off someone else. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he quite gets the ability to do that with Jay Chow, be that for the language barrier or be that just because the two don't, they don't have bad chemistry, but I can't imagine they're riffing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where Rogan really shines, at least like in this era of his career. I, I think it, it draws back to that thing you said as well, that, Rogan's not that believable as like an asshole, And like, I guess there's a yeah. lot of like, American comedians who are, and I think the thing that Seth Rogen has got is he's somewhat more relatable as like that British sense of humor where it's like self-deprecating or like like mm. you look at like uh super bad, like those characters are like the butt of the joke a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? Like Completely. and and throughout throughout their career, do you know what I mean? Like knocked up. It's like they are like they're not cool guys they are like no. we're in on the they're jokes losers. that they're losers 
And it's like, I don't know, if you kind of had like uh, a more like, I don't know, even like a John Hamm fronting, do you know what I mean? Somebody who's got comedy chops, but can yeah. like, but is also got that like edge to be a bit of a prick. Like completely like, you know what? Like, even Ryan Reynolds, mm-hmm. who would go on to do a, a green prefix superhero this year <laughs> as well. Um, but you know, he, he probably would have had a bit of fun with this sort of role. Um, cause he's very easily believable as a prick as someone, you know, who watched every episode of two guys, a girl on a pizza. Place. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at Rogan's career up until now. And yeah, you know, he is just like, I mean, this is really his big follow up to funny people. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny people, he's such like, not a prick. He's so, like, he kind of does some priggish stuff, but he's such like a, a floundering fish throughout the whole thing. But then again, that same year, he has observe and report. Oh, where he is awful. Yeah. That's a film that I, I, I went to a test screening. Of observe oh wow they tested that yeah 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 i went to yeah i i, I and weirdly they did it at like yeah i went to like a cine world in crawley and had to like <laughs> had to had to fill out a form afterwards and i'm not i've never seen the film since and i probably should just to see if like there were like cuts made to the film or like, i like that movie i do i do it's weird it's i think it was it was a real like outlier to what he had done before in a way because it it felt meaner at least in the 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 version i saw completely i I think people like describe it as like his cable guy yes yeah 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 like this kind of weird this grunt old like wasn't there like a lot of fart no there's a lot of farting in that movie and that remember there was a shot of full male nudity like there was the flat like yeah there, there is a full male, male nudity scene. yeah yeah yeah. there's a flasher who's kind of on on the loose and that's the kind of antagonist it's wild film. that this was like a, a wide release movie i'm shocked it didn't get an f cinema score <laughs> like, um i like it though like it's um uh but yeah like he's he's in a bit of a weird place and yeah he may he, so something about it that works and um observe and report and maybe that's just the way that film is made because i think there's there's a weird balance with brit reed in that he is playing this sort of prick but he still wants you to like him yes where the ronnie bernhardt character in observe and report does not care mm-hmm. or like um it is very much a takeoff on travis bickle um uh but like yeah there's <sighs> It it there's nothing, and as I said, like it doesn't really have a. It doesn't go from him being a prick to someone we like. It just kind of like flounders between the two throughout the whole movie. I'm trying to think of other scenes that I did love in this movie, and I mean they're mostly yeah, it's mostly the Kato side. It's it's it is like when Brit and Kato are friends, I kind of like that stuff. Mm-hmm. I like Kato building the cars. Um, I think the Black Beauty is really, really cool. I have a picture of me in the Black Beauty somewhere. Amazing. Is that, <laughs> is, is that from that press screening? or is it? Is it from- no, that was from uh, the 2010 Comic Con, um, where I saw footage from this film. I just remembered that. Um, we, they played some footage um, at a panel. Um, it was really exciting. 
um, very early. Because, yeah, I think this film was, like, done for a while by the time they released it. Yeah, wasn't it pushed? It was basically pushed back because they wanted to retroactively put it in 3D. Yeah. And when was it? It was supposed to be out on June 25th, 2010, replaced by Grown Ups. (laughs) Yes, a nice little Happy Madison (laughs) connection. Yes, I love it. And then they moved the Green Hornet to July 9th then to December 22nd and then pushing it to January 14th to secure. It was the Morbius of its day. So I guess, yeah, I guess it is that thing as well that had the studio lost faith in the film as well, because like up until recently, January has really been like a, a dead zone for films, hasn't it? It's kind of been like the, the, I mean, it the, still is a bit. Yeah, it's like the but yeah, it's, it's 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 famously like the dumping ground of those. Like in the UK, we somewhat get like the hangover. We get the Oscar movies. Yeah, we get the hangover yeah. of the Oscar movies, like uh, with the delayed releases with the US. But like, I think yeah. when it's like simultaneous distribution, if a film is getting released in January, it's kind of we've got no faith in this to perform well. <laughs> The only films I think like the studios have confidence for in January is um, uh, horrors. Yes, as we've seen with uh, Scream Five, right this year. Yeah, Scream Five, and like you know, Cloverfield was a January release back in the day, and um, I think like they'll they'll put stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, it seems like. Yeah, quite a dumping ground, and this film's definitely dumped. Like, where does where does it open? Does it open at number one? Oh, that is something I don't have. Uh... I have it. <laughs> I have it. Um, it does open at number one. Can you guess one of the top five in the box office? Ooh, January. <laughs> it opens at opens at number one. For thirty-three million. Number two is come on, tell me, Jack. It's a it's a it's a comedy, uh, starring one of the Happy Madison gang, but not a Happy Madison film. I won't make you guess all of these. Well, this is a good one. Yeah, this is a, this is this... a good podcast in me just guessing. <laughs> it's the dilemma. Oh boy. Oh boy! Also opening that week, so yeah, a real dumping round. And then you've just got free Oscar leftovers. You've got True Grit, The King's Speech, and Black Swan. Um, a real weird time to release this movie. I mean, thirty-three million is not a bad opening weekend mm-hmm. for like a, a an action comedy, but this is an expensive action comedy. Yeah, so we haven't we haven't touched on the budget of this film. So obviously, uh. The budget is like said to be between 110 and 120 million dollars. Only, well, I say only. The box office like return was 227.8 million, which I guess once you factor in marketing and stuff like that, isn't really the hit that they would have wanted, right? Yeah, that's 227.8 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Like. This film didn't make money. <laughs> this film didn't... I, I doubt this film even broke even. Um, like, 98 million in the US. The fact that this film couldn't even get to 100 million in the US 
which is where like you know like people talk about the international market but most of your money is still meant to come from like the the u.s box office mm-hmm. and yeah that's that's real low yeah, and it yeah it <laughs> for, uh, it dropped 47 percent in its second week to 17.7 uh, million dollars yeah. <laughs> so yeah and it's kind of i don't know it it kind of drops each each week like a considerable amount as well so it's, uh, it's it's sad, like, because, I don't know, it's interesting, I think this film is interesting, as there's always that thing of, like, what it could have been, whether it's all of those iterations that could have been throughout the 90s mm. and 2000s, but there's also, like, what this film could have been if the studio had their kind of finger on the button a bit more, and were, like, kind of... When will that happen? Kind of care, like, cared a bit more, and it's it's i guess it's a, a real um it was a real learning curve in somewhat for seth rogan and evan goldberg right because it was their kind of to that point would have been their biggest budget that they would have worked with i guess yeah. i guess it would have taught them a lesson of like uh we can't really can't really do this or i guess because this isn't great like yeah is it gray point their their production company I think so, yeah, because this is original film, right? Yeah, original. Which is like the and, Neil Moritz Fast and Furious guy. Yeah, and 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 a Sony production. I guess like after this is mm. when they start to produce a lot more, and it's kind of they get like a, a a a much more of a say in what kind of is on screen and what isn't. And you can that again. I draw back. To- well, here's here's a question for you: mm-hmm. Do Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg? essentially kill the studio comedy with the interview um somewhat yes is this film i haven't seen but like trying to i don't even think it's to do with the film itself it's to do with the reaction around the film and the worry that studios might have like now well, we could make this comedy, but it might piss some people off, and we might get hacked, and we might not be able to release a movie. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like studio comedies that have happened since, and even like there have definitely been some, but I do think like the, the interview had such an impact. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mad to think of like how crazy that was when that movie was coming out, and all the hacking, and all like Obama's talking about it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, all- and it's a movie I quite like, uh, to be honest. Um, uh, I remember enjoying it. I think I thought it was pretty funny and pretty like well done for what it was. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 kind of like I I do feel like unfortunately they ended up kind of uh, uh, killing sort of like high concept comedies like that. Yeah, and I guess now we have to get our, like, comedy fix. It's either, I don't know, like, the stuff you'll get, and it, I guess high concept, like, comedies, Seth Rogen is still trying to do them, whether it's, a, a, like, an American pickle, but even that, that was kind of, like, shot out onto streaming both here and in the US. Yeah. And then, like... And, like, Sausage Party is... is... Mm-hmm kind of that yeah but again a film that set up a sequel that never delivered just like the green hornet kind of like 
the way the final act of this plays out is like they will return. The ending of the Green Hornet really calls for a sequel, and you're like him, like high fiving Cameron Diaz in the car after they pull off a stunt that makes no sense. Oh yes, let's talk about that. Yeah, so obviously to like wash their hands. Of... So at this point as well, so Kato manages to kill uh, Chudovsky by stabbing him in both eyes with stakes, which again I thought like. There's definitely a hard, wild. There's a harder cut of this film, and then we, we haven't even talked about the fact that David Harbour. I guess a lot of people would know as being uh, uh Hellboy himself, <laughs> or Officer Hopper in um, uh, Stranger Things him, him, himself, or Lily Allen's husband, as, as some people may know him as as, as being now. Um, uh, not just Hellboy. Hellboy. Just Hellboy. Hellboy. Yeah, he's he's. I'm sure people remember him as the definitive Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ron who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like with his like, well, yeah. What did you think of David Harbour in this film? I mean, what's there to think? <laughs> like it's just, it could have been anyone yeah yeah yeah. it felt like they couldn't get aaron eckhart or like do you know what i mean like yeah. oh shit aaron eckhart kind of did a similar thing in in the dark like, night was, so we can't we can't get aaron eckhart involved like david harvard didn't have much of a career at this point like what he'd he had like some very small roles in like quantum of solace and state of play mm-hmm. like he's not was he on a show? Maybe. No, doesn't look like it. Um, he was very much an up-and-comer. And he, yeah, he's not got much to do here. Um, but I tell you, um, before we get on to the crazy ending, just while we're talking about the actors, you know who brings it? Uh, Wilkin- Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets. He, he he just comes in with like being like real asshole dad, and I think that's what's interesting about this film. Plays Kevin Spacey in this, I believe. <laughs> well, he's got, he's got a Spacey vibe to it. He's got a real like uh, without the pedophilia. He's got a real nineties dad energy to him as well, of like just mm. being like fuck you, kid. Like, and he's the kind of antithesis of a lot of kind of superhero dads as well. Where it's like mm. normally like they're really beat up about their their dad's death, whereas like Britt Reed is more more upset about the fact that his coffee isn't made the same way that it used to be than he is mm. about his like the death of his dad. <laughs> if anything, he's like, Fuck you. You want I do wish you ripped the head off my action figure, Dad. I wish there was more played of that. Because that's the kind of interesting stuff in the film is I mean it's the interesting stuff in every fucking superhero movie, but it is this fathers and sons sort of uh yeah. thing and yeah there, there's they play with that but they don't get into it enough <laughs> actually you've reminded me of the the best part of david harbour's performances when <laughs> brit is putting together everything that's happened mm-hmm. like that harbour has killed his dad and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and it cut this back to you get some fun uh voiceover there from uh, tom Wilkinson, and it cuts back to harbour just being like judging off the blank expression of your face for the past few minutes you're struggling to put this together yeah i was like oh well you know that's a fun fun little way to play that um i love that feels like it could have been played better i love that sequence in kato vision that he has and especially once figuring out that like a lot of it was done practically like the kind Mm. of like when it has like the outlines of the dead bodies and like the tree on fire and stuff like that it is kind of like 
Michel Gondry going back to his kind of DIY weird like music video like aesthetics for for this for this very short short sequence and it's I mean there, I, we, we give it we give Gondry a lot of credit. Guess say our boy uh, John Schwartzman, middleman himself. Um, <laughs> you know this film looks great. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And, but like I think the fact of John Schwartzman and like when you're looking for his career and his credits, he very much feels like a journeyman cinematographer. Do you know what I mean? He's not kind of, I don't think he'll ever be held up in the same regard as like a Roger Deakins where it's like, I don't know, people aren't gonna watch a film solely no. based on the name of John Schwartzman unless you're me, basically, doing this <laughs> podcast. Probably not, but I will say, like, I think this film, you know, in an era where you know, I don't know. I, I, I there's this uh, director out there at the moment who's complaining that like Marvel movies are like copies of each other, and that like you know you can take the scenes in No Time to Die and match them up with the car crash scenes in Dune. Like you know, Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> yes, Francis Ford Coppola. Um, uh, there's a sheen about the Green Hornet. That is almost reminiscent of like the sheen that's in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Uh-huh. Like this movie looks nice, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. It ha- and it, it helps up the fun of the movie, I would say. But we should go back to the ending that we were going to discuss. Yeah. So, the, 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 like, how how much of the ending do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about like the? Kind well, of- I just I just want to talk about the stupidity of the what like. So Rogan's been shot. Um, he's been shot in the chest and they take him back to Cameron Diaz's house they reveal to her that he's the Green Hornet she suddenly finds out she's the mastermind girl bosses it um, she tries to take out the bullet because they can't take him to a hospital because then they'll know he's the Green Hornet um, she can't take it out and so they uh, manufacture a Oh, are you frozen? Are you still there? Hello? I'll just keep talking until we can figure this out. Um, Well, they manufacture a a fake shooting. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I can hear you. (coughs) Ah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, let me just go back a little bit. They manufacture a fake shooting uh, to get uh, Rogan shot um, so he can go to hospital. Of course, during this scene, uh, Edward James almost keeps patting him on the bullet, and then they finally get him shot, and he is uh, taken to hospital. And uh, I'm just like, how long is that bullet inside of Rogan? Yeah, and and they have the opportunity as well, right, to, um, like clear the Green Hornet's name yeah, in all of this as well. And instead of doing that, they just make the Green Hornet even more of a villain. Like they make they like kind of because they get Cato to come and be like, this shot comes courtesy of the Green Hornet, as opposed to being like mm. they could have figured out a way to to clear his name in, in doing all of this. It was a really strange moment. 
that I guess is um, setting up a sequel that we're never going to get. So as we start to wrap things up, Jack, is there anything that we've missed in this film that you, you feel like we should talk about? Any, any gems, any things that you didn't particularly uh, just, like? Just a quick... I don't think there's anything I don't particularly like in this movie. I don't think anything in it, it like really rubs me the wrong way enough to dislike this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing we haven't talked about that I think is really cool, the Black Beauty is a cool car. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was what twenty nine made and three survived. So <laughs> you got to sit in one of the, or, or, or at least. Oh, I didn't sit in it. I you, just stood near. You it. got to st- stand near one of the, <laughs> the three remaining black beauties, which is quite cool. Hmm. Um, I think the music stings are fun. The score is kind of old fashioned in a way. That's 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 nice. And um, who doesn't like a bit of Gangster's Paradise? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good, like, James Newton Howard score as well, right? It's, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a decent, decent slice, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a misfire, but it's, it's, a, it's a good misfire. It's not, it's not interesting enough to be, like, a forgotten classic, but it's not bad enough to be, like, well screw this movie i think it kind of very much falls in like i don't know but it is somewhat of a curio in a way and i think like the more you kind of like look into the film the more you kind of get disappointed of what it could have been in a way like or or kind of like watching the film and knowing the people involved whether it is like yeah seth rogan and kind of so just watching the film going, there is a harder version of this film. There is like a version of this where like certain characters are a bit more fleshed out, like the Cameron Diaz character, but it's like don't know if any of that is on cutting room floor. Don't think it is. I think like they just no, I don't think it is. They just had a few bum they they had a few bum like ills on their hand. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's the Stephen Chow walking off, or if it's Nicolas Cage walking off, kind of rattled people's confidence a bit, and they kind of didn't get to deliver the film that they could have done. Yeah, and I think there's like, I think there's the movie that Rogan and Goldberg want to make, I think there's the movie that Gondry wants to make, and there's the movie that the studio wants to make. Mm -hmm. And elements of all those things are in this movie. And I think the best elements of that are the Gondry things. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it's just, it doesn't really add up to much, mm-hmm. which is a shame because there are some interesting parts. But they don't all come together. And yeah. I think, I think that, 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 that perfectly sums it up. Um. So one thing I like to do on this podcast when looking at films is trying to see if there's any Coppola connections. So is there people who worked on this film or in this film who have worked with the Coppolas elsewhere? Did you manage to find any, Jack? I haven't found anything. I will also say I've been packing for a trip this week and haven't looked hard enough. (laughs) We also arranged to do this episode like two days ago. No worries. Well, I will write (laughs) a few and we can can pick out any that... interest you in any way so uh michelle gondry directed 2001's um human nature which starred patricia arquette who was married to nicholas cage at the time seth rogan is of course in funny people with jason schwartzman 
Christoph Waltz mm. is in The French Dispatch and Big Eyes with Jason Schwartzman. Cameron Diaz is in Shrek Forever After, which Matt Shire, um, Talia Shire's son from her first marriage, did punch up on the script for and is in Slackers with Jason Schwartzman and is, of course, in Spike Jones's Being John Malkovich, which he released in 1999 whilst he was still married to Sophia Coppola. Uh, Tom Wilkinson is in the Grand Budapest Hotel, which again has um, a cameo from Jason Schwartzman. And stunt coordinator Vic Armstrong directed Left Behind and was the stunt coordinator on uh, The Amazing Spider-Man and Never Say Never Again, which Jack Schwartzman, both Jason and John's dad, was a producer on. And Georgina... Armstrong was in Left Behind and did stunts on The Amazing Spider-Man. James Armstrong was the stunt coordinator on The Amazing Spider-Man and the assistant stunt coordinator on the Nicolas Cage 2011 film Season of the Witch. Must be the season of the witch. The witch. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, yeah, the Armstrong family who are kind of this fascinating... So, Vic Armstrong... <laughs> would have done stunts on, like, <clears throat> Superman, like the Richard Donner Indiana film. Jones, right? Indiana Jones, yeah. He's got this kind of amazing career, like, worked with everyone. And they're really fascinating. So James, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, so Vic Armstrong's brother, who I believe is Andy Armstrong, did, like, one of the car flips in this film as, like, one of the first stunts to show the other stunt people like i might be old and still do it and this is kind of what we expect of you i um you've described the armstrongs to me now and i don't know why but i can only picture them as the the mandelbaum family from seinfeld <laughs> yes. they just picture yeah. them all driving around going Armstrong Armstrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah Vic Armstrong very much wears a num- uh, number one dad t-shirt <laughs> oh you uh, know on, on every on every set yeah yeah that is <laughs> yes uh, if there's anything I love more than talking about the Coppola family it's talking about Simon so, uh, thank you. And that's a great weird characters to bring up. Armstrong, oh, oh. Armstrong. Oh, yes, that's uh, that's fantastic. So let's get to anytime. Like someone's like, I can do this stunt. Like someone comes on, like you think you can do this stunt? I'm like, I like, just. Like... I love. Yeah, I think this like this film has got like five you know, the stunt mafia. Yeah, five Armstrongs work on this film and like what is kind of like quite cool about it is they went through the script with uh seth rogan and Evan goldberg and kind of like said to them everything they could do practically and they just took out anything that would be too heavy cgi and went like nice oh, let's, let's not do that and like like even like the the car going up the elevator they were like we're just, just build, thinking about that we'll just build a rig we'll just build a rig and like the <laughs> It's mad that moment. Yeah, <laughs> I want more stuff like that in this movie. Yeah, that's more weird stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that stuff is really cool and like stands out. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I I do wonder if like if if Rogan is is 
is a you know a weight around this movie's neck in a sad mm, way I, I, yeah I, I think I, just, I, I think I think he is miscast in a way in that like he just does I wonder even just in like the script sense as well if he just doesn't have enough to bring those sort of weirder elements that we've enjoyed enough of them. and like I don't I don't think that they had a reverence the show not that you possibly could but like you know like sometimes people who like really know the material inside and out can really pull something out of the bag that kind of like pays homage to it but introduces a whole new audience to what it is and kind of just taps into the vein of what makes that thing interesting whether i don't know like whether it is kind of i'm trying to think of like adaptations that like manage to capture stuff really well i don't know uh, <laughs> um, oh, my, my, my mind has gone blank if you're not if you can't hear from my voice uh people are listening i've been quite yeah. ill this week so yeah so, so my mind is kind of all a bit of a uh, in a haze and a bit of a fog hell hellboy yeah 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 hellboy yeah david harbour david exactly, harbour's yeah. hellboy. Is it neil marshall's hellboy neil marshall's hellboy the director <laughs> yeah. of uh dog soldiers and the descent yeah. dog soldiers he nailed it. He nailed it with, uh, with Hellboy. <laughs> he's he he nailed the Hellboy aesthetic. Definitely, he's the only yeah. one who did. Gilmore, who? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's that guy? Uh, right. So <laughs> let's score this film. And the way we do that on this podcast is asking my guests, what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? What wine are we going for, Jack? So I haven't picked a specific wine. That's fine. I've made up. I've, I've made up a wine. Um. And because this is the Green Hornet and there's a, a sort of early joke about uh, him being called the Green Bee, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, well, bees make honey. What's a nice honey wine? And I thought, mead. <laughs> a nice mead. And then uh, and then maybe like a, like a sort of chili-infused mead to give it that extra hornet sting. Nice. I like that. Maybe diet diet green. What I and, uh, and that's your green hornet wine. Yeah, like an absinthe, an absinthe a, wine, a an absinthe honey wine. Yeah, maybe like <laughs> do you reckon Nicholas Cage walks off this project as well when he read about the bee and he's like, I don't. It, w- it would have been lovely for that for Nicholas Cage to be in this where it's like he's in cahoots of a guy who used like the the component that is in a bee sting that could kill someone to kill them and obviously Nicolas Cage famously uh, in The Wicker Man had such an aversion to bees and knows that pain so he could have really I don't know he could have um, really empathised yeah with Tom Wilkinson's character in that way um, that's a perfect wine pairing for this film I like that you've gone off the grid and you've made your own wine hopefully we'll- yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm a creative guy <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah uh, is that a Bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf wine? AKA, is this film really I, good? I'm going to give it a middle shelf. Perfect. We're not turning over the page to the expensive stuff. We're not getting on our tiptoes to the top shelf. We're, we're just... No, it's, it's, it's an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you're, that, like, if you like it, you'll pay that middle shelf price. But if you don't like it, you just leave it alone. Yeah, you go for... Which I think is what has happened to this movie. You go for something a bit more, I don't know, not accessible, but you go for something a bit more that's tried and tested. Do you know what I mean? You're going for 
You're going for the yeah. best seller. You get your, you, you get your Deadpool wine. Yeah, you get your, you get your Iron Man wine. Yeah, it's no. a it's a wine that knows it's a wine. It's a wine that knows it's a wine. <laughs> and like it's like oh the flavors yeah the flavors I know all about the flavors oh the flavor's going to be like this yeah. but now I'm going to change it and the flavors are going to be like this and hey look that's my dick in the wine hey I'm I'm Deadpool hey hey my my dick crushed these grapes <laughs> and I'm going to yeah every bottle has a, a, a picture of uh, Hugh Jackman uh, inside of the label on the inside so once you drink the bottle you see a picture of Hugh Jackman because we're we're witty and we're edgy I like that I like that yeah that's a yeah yeah fuck your Deadpool wine <laughs> so one of my notes is that this movie is more fun than Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, that I yeah, I've I've I have buried the lead on this, but this was my first time watching this film for this podcast. I'm sorry, I feel like I've like completely railroaded you and didn't like like uh give you a chance to talk more about what you wanted to say about No, this no 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 no, that's fine. I like to kind of I like to sometimes take a back seat, especially yeah. As you can hear, my voice has got progressively more husky throughout this. So now it's time for me to take the floor. I'm going to sound like Mike Reed from EastEnders, but uh, that's fine. But yeah, no, like I found it fascinating. And as I've kind of said, like the more I know about it, the more I kind of wish we could have seen something. Yeah, I don't know. For me, this kind of gets filed in that same category as like. Um, Superman Lives. I know a film that never actually got to see the light of day, but like there's there's a weird curiosity to it, and like yeah, as I said earlier, not, there's something in there that I do like, and I, I like the performances. And uh, if anything, the fact that this this film spawned those stories about Nicolas Cage, it, it deserves to be, uh, it deserves to exist on that alone. Do you know what I mean? Like for. For yeah. Nicolas Cage to confront Seth Rogen about, hey, did you steal my, did you steal my fucking Rastafarian, uh, my, my Jamaican guy, and give it to James Franco is, is enough for me for this film to exist, let alone it being quite fun and not, doesn't, doesn't need to be derided, as some people seem to, seem to do with the film. Yeah. Um, no. So let's move on to some impossible questions I always ask at the end of this podcast, uh, Jack. The first one being, which Coppola family member would you keep, but in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmography of the rest of the family? Fuck! Ah! Oh, so i got to keep one. Um, maybe I keep Matthew Shire. <laughs> just for... You a big... Just for Sh- Shrek Forever After. You a big, big Shrek Forever After fan? Is that just the fourth one, Not- right? Yeah, not really, but um, I don't know. Like, why not? Like, he he. I feel like Matt I like he he gets pushed around. He's not really, he's not really like who he could be. I feel like maybe if he didn't have the ties towards his family, he'd be able to like break through. Matt Shire as well was a production assistant on. Um, a Happy Madison production, The House Bunny, as well. Well, there you go. There you That's go, one of so. the better Happy Madison movies as so well. There you go. So. It all, all roads lead back to Adam Sandler. And, and even with your kind of trolling uh, answer to that question, you have, you have led back to 
to Happy Madison after all. So. It's almost like it was calling to me. Exactly. I wonder if there are there are many crossovers. Um, <laughs> I will find. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, there's there's Jason Schwartzman in uh, in uh, Funny People. I'm sure. The, uh, I'm sure there's others elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I have looked through the list, and I think the House Bunny may be the only actual Happy Madison production. Well, apart from Funny Jason People. Schwartz. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what a the crew. <laughs> so, based on this film alone, and uh, John Schwartzman's contribution to this film, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time? Well, I can't say yes, can I? Because that would uh, imply that I am not part of the greatest film family of all time, <laughs> which I am. So I'm going to say no, okay, that, that, <laughs> uh, and recommend that everybody go and watch uh, Michael Craig in the Angry Silence. Okay, okay, noted. Noted. I'll be, I'll be doing that. <laughs> I'll be doing that straight after this record. I'll be, uh, I'll be sucking on a lozenge, having a nice cup of tea, and watching the Angry Silence. Your nice, nice. I mean, they're great. They're great, but they're no. Um, uh, Gregson's. I think we've got a new contenders for Hollywood families as well with the Armstrongs, right? They seem like oh, they are, they are the Armstrong. Armstrong, Armstrong. They're great. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really gunning for that top spot right now. I just imagine every morning they pick up like barbells, but not like the not like um, the traditional barbells, like those old strongman ones with the sort of rounded weights yeah. at the end, and, the, yeah. and they wear like sort of like old-fashioned swimming costumes, like red and white striped onesies. I, I, I reckon what they do as well is at breakfast, because they all live in one massive house, <laughs> is they ga- gather around the breakfast table and share, like, scars every morning, even though they've seen them and kind of like... Like, jaws. Yeah, they're kind of like, do you know what I mean, bending their noses back, being like, look, look, there's no cartilage left in this. It's like, you see that? You see that? That was that was the green hornet, that scar. That was from that flip. And they, they know exactly, do you know what I mean? It's like... It's like Vic Armstrong's been like, you see that on my neck? That's a whip mark from Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, that one. That's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, this mark on my side right here. Yeah, they, I reckon that's how they live their life. Uh, the only thing available for breakfast is uh, grapefruit and bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get, out of their, they get out of their one massive bed that they all sleep in in matching, in matching nighties with the sleeping caps, like... Like, uh, like Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I, I want like a little, I want like you remember the Osborne's reality series. I want that for the for the, for the, the Armstrong. Armstrongs. Yeah, yeah. They 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 go down their fireman's pole that they have in their in their house as well, straight down to the. I, I'm thinking it's a mixture of the like, the Ghostbusters. Probably the most normal people in the world. Oh yeah, they're yeah they're British as well. They're a British family as well. But I, I, in my head. They live in a kind of mixture of what Wallace and Gromit's house and the Ghostbusters like base. That's, that's I think they of... live in. I think they live in the Brady Bunch house. Yes, yeah, we we'll have that. We we'll have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a mixture of mixture of all three. That's, that's how they live their life. Um, what a joy! What an absolute joy the Armstrongs are. Well. At home with the Armstrongs. At home with the Armstrongs. Yeah, maybe there's like like the Osbournes. There's a member of the family who 
is a member of the family but just doesn't want to be on the TV series as well and is kind of referred to but never seen. Louis Armstrong. <laughs> um, so as we close off this episode, Jack, I must ask you the most important question of this podcast, and that is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? You want to see these nuts? <laughs> Perfect. We're going to leave that... out a bag of peanuts. <laughs> We're going to leave that there and ask you, Jack, where can people find you and Truly Happily Madison? Where, where, yeah, sell your wares to us. Oh, you can find me on all sorts of uh, social media platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, under the name JFG in Digital 3D. Um, and uh, you can follow the uh, the podcast, which is uh, on a hiatus at the moment, Truly Happily Madison. Um, uh, you can find that on all podcast providers, and you can follow it on Twitter at TrueHatMad. And uh, get ready for season two, which we've just announced is happening. Me and Josh have finally agreed on an idea for season two. And uh, I can't say much, but I'll say that uh, uh, audiences might be tickled pink by uh, <laughs> by um, by what we've got coming. Uh, yeah, crack that code, uh, Alan Turing. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, Jack, thank you so much becoming and making some Coppola connections with me. Ah, uh, anytime, anytime. Once again, thank you so much to Jack Gregson for coming and joining me. He is currently in the US of A in New York City. So if you're listening over there, Jack, hope you're enjoying your time in New York City, baby. Uh, thank you to you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. The weird and wonderful tangents that we went on are little oh yeah thanks for indulging us in our kind of seinfeld madness and just our general giddy madness throughout that whole episode uh if you feel like we missed anything or might disagree with us you might think that this is an absolute steamy pile of shit of a film don't hesitate to get in touch you can do so by heading over to twitter instagram facebook and letterboxd at caged in pod or if you want to be a bit more secretive about it you want to keep it all a bit harsh harsh bit secret squirrel you can drop me an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com as for what is next week on the podcast we are going back to what was supposed to be this week uh, those keen-eared listeners will be thinking hey this episode wasn't paulo alto well that is next week and next week i will of course be joined by the lovely daisy edwards from the fantastic w rated podcast which right now right now whenever you're listening to this you can listen to my guest appearance on that when i talked about the number one bottom rated film on imdb's bottom 100 list disaster movie it was an absolute joy to record with both daisy and claire so yeah do check that out and do make sure you return next week when we'll be talking we try to avoid to talk about James Franco in this episode, but I feel like next week we're going to be talking about James Franco 
quite a bit, seeing he's one of the stars of Gia Coppola's directorial debut. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast and would like to support us, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where for as little as three dollars or two pound fifty you can sign up to get the exclusive patreon series movie brat bros where we're currently on our first season looking at all of the films of brian de palma uh last week i was joined by the fantastic mary wilde to talk about raising cane and next week i will be joined by both matt brothers hey matt a friend of the podcast uh, love you and uh first time guest on the podcast as a whole uh mark sibby who's written a book all about al pacino called uh the movies behind the man uh, and we'll be talking about um brian de palma's 1993 crime drama thriller carlito's way so yeah you'll get that next week is a fortnightly show and as i said it's dirt cheap so <laughs> get on over join the family uh, so if you don't want to depart with any of your money you can support the podcast by leaving us a fantastic five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts, good pods uh, acast uh, spotify wherever you can leave a review we want them we want those brand spanking lovely jubbly five star ratings and reviews always in your review let me know what does bill murray say to scarlett johansson at the end of lost in translation kind of want to do a little super cut of all of those when we finally eventually get to that episode will it be the last episode will it be the hundredth episode i'm not entirely sure but we will get to it at some point so as always guys i've been petros patsyllabus your guide through the crazy world of the coppola family tree remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next week head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.